When our son, Joey, was younger, when he was in elementary school, for his birthday, we would host a party for him. And the birthday cake would come out at some point, and people would sing happy birthday. And just before he was about to blow out his candles, someone would ask, are you going to make a wish? And he would look around, and he might ask, what should I wish for? When I was a young child living in England, I remember being outside by one of those ornamental fountains, and people would sometimes put a coin in my hand and say, toss the coin into the fountain and make a wish. And in those moments, sometimes I wouldn't know what to wish for. Now, making a wish is somewhat different from offering a prayer But sometimes, as is the case with making a wish, as with a prayer, we don't know exactly what to ask for. Growing up when our family was living in Surrey, I remember one night in the middle of the night how my youngest sister got up, left her bedroom, went down the hallway to go to the washroom. Her twin brother who was in a bedroom not far from hers, heard her get up, go to the washroom. He got out of bed, walked over to her bedroom, snuck into her closet, hid and waited. Moments later, when his twin sister walked back into her bedroom, he jumped out of the closet and said, boo! And she just ran on the spot, tried to scream, but not a word or a sound came out of her mouth. There was probably a siren going off in her mind. (laughs) Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, the author of The Body Keeps the Score, points out that when a person is under extreme stress, the Broca's area of their brain, which houses one of our speech centers, may go offline And so we may not be able to utter a single noise. So when we're under severe distress, we may scream, but we may not be able to scream at all. And sometimes we will find it difficult to pray. We're not sure what to pray. And when we are under real stress and duress, we may find it impossible to pray at all. We may have no words with which to pray. We're currently in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit as our intercessor, as the one who prays on our behalf. In Hebrews 7.25, we read that Jesus intercedes on our behalf that Jesus prays before God for us. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, we read these words from the pen of the Apostle Paul, now part of Scripture. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we 
wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship or daughtership. The redemption of our bodies. Verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you live in us and that you pray for us. And we ask that you would show us how you pray in and through us as we look to your word, as we consider Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 23 of this passage, Paul writes, We who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit grown inwardly, And so the presence of God's Spirit in our lives, the fact that we have received something of the Holy Spirit, have some kind of connection with with Jesus, some kind of relationship with God, doesn't mean that we will not groan inwardly. It doesn't mean that we'll be free from all pain and suffering. And when we go through hardship and difficulty, we may be uncertain as to how to pray. If you're facing a great challenge, you may be unsure as to whether to pray for deliverance or whether to pray for endurance to be able to keep going. If you're with a loved one who is experiencing an advanced stage of cancer, you may not be sure whether to pray for healing or for the person to be delivered and released into heaven. When we're going through difficulty, we may be unsure of how to pray. And when we're going through hardship, we may struggle to pray. In September of 2021, I remember being beside my mother, which would prove to be one of her last days. And I recall her struggling to pray and praying in Japanese, kurushides, which means it is painful. She prayed, kanshashimas, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. She prayed, tengoku ni hayaku ikitai, I want to go to heaven soon. She was laboring in prayer, struggling in prayer. And when we experience a great loss, when we, say, lose a loved one or are rejected by someone whom we love or lose our job or something precious, we may have no words, nothing to say, no ability to pray. And the Apostle Paul writes this, The Apostle Paul in the message version of the Bible says, if we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He 
that is the Holy Spirit, does our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. When we're confused, when we don't know how to pray, when we find it difficult to pray at all, Paul is saying the Holy Spirit will help us. The Holy Spirit will come alongside us and come within us, praying within us and for us, making prayers from our silent sighs, from our aching groans. Sometimes we will feel like the psalmist who penned these words in Psalm 38. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. In times when we feel it is difficult to pray, perhaps even impossible to pray, the Holy Spirit hears the sighs of our spirit, understands the groans of our heart, and then prays in us and for us. Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish pastor, remembers as a child of seven or eight years of old, of age, being taken by his mother to the northern coast of Scotland to visit his mother's relatives. And Sinclair said, I was just a young boy, and so I found all of the adult conversation somewhat boring, somewhat tedious. But he was struck by one of the relatives. His mother's cousin had been married at age 21, and shortly after getting married, he experienced this serious illness that left him almost completely paralyzed. His mother's cousin was able to move his head a little bit, and if you put tea near his head, was able to angle his head and, and, and sip some tea. But other than that, he was completely paralyzed, and he couldn't speak. All he could do was to utter guttural noises and to groan. And Sinclair said, as a young boy, when my mother's cousin would, would groan or make these guttural noises, I was afraid because I, I, I couldn't understand what he was trying to convey. But Sinclair did notice this. When his mother's cousin would utter a groan or a guttural noise, his wife, whom he had married at age 21, when he was 21, would instantly appear and through some kind of seemingly mystical power be able to interpret exactly what those groans and sighs meant and then would respond appropriately. And when we don't have words and just sighs and groans, the Holy Spirit can read those sighs and groans. And then according to 1 Corinthians 2, will plumb the depths of God's mind and then make from those sighs and groans prayers that are in accordance with God's will. When my mentor's son, Sandy, was 21 years of age, my mentor, Leighton Ford, when his son, Sandy, was just 21 years of age, just an incredible young adult, 
with a heart to serve God, plans to follow in his father's footsteps by entering into vocational Christian ministry. Um, he had this rare heart disease and, and died. That was devastating for Leighton, his father, his mother, Jeannie, their whole family. And afterwards, people would ask Leighton and Jeannie sometimes, when you lost Sandy, when that was so crushing for you, how were you able to call down strength from heaven? And they would say, we weren't able to call down strength from heaven, but God was just there for us. God was just there. And when we are unable to call down strength from heaven, God will just be there for us. The Spirit will be praying in us and for us, reading our groans, understanding our sighs, and then from them crafting prayers that are in line with God's will for us. Max Lucado, the pastor and author, back in 1983, along with his wife, Denelin, moved to Rio de Janeiro to serve as missionaries. Their initial transition to Brazil was difficult because they didn't speak much Portuguese and also because they had never lived outside of North America and because all of their stuff was stuck in customs. All of their furniture, pots and pans, dishes, utensils, books, photo albums were stuck in a crate in customs. The crate was full and their apartment was empty. And so day after day, Max would go to the customs office, plead with the customs official, asking for the crate to be released. But Max in his broken Portuguese, couldn't get very far, and the customs official just kept saying, no, senor, no, senor, delayed, or needs approval, or come back tomorrow. And so day after day, Max would return home with slumped shoulders, explaining to Denil and his wife that he couldn't get the crate released today. He realized that with his broken Portuguese, his limited understanding of the culture. He didn't really understand why the crate was being withheld. He didn't understand the problem and certainly couldn't persuade the customs official to let it go. And then one day, Max and Denelin heard a knock on their apartment door. They opened it up and standing in front of them was someone who said, I'm your next door neighbor, Quenho. He was a native Brazilian who also spoke English, but Portuguese fluently and perfectly as his first language. And uh, Max and, and Denelin invited their, their next-door neighbor in to their apartment, and the next-door neighbor said, how is your transition going to, to Brazil? And they honestly said, well, it's been hard because all of our stuff is stuck in a crate at customs. Quano's eyes got real wide, and they brightened, and, and he said, I think I can help you. And Max said, are you sure? Uh, because I've been trying to get the crate freed for a month and I've made no progress at all. And Quano said, oh, but I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. And so the very next day, uh, Quano and Max go to the customs office and the very same customs official that 
has rebuffed Max every time he's there. Max sort of, sort of subtly points toward him. Quinnell walks up to him and begins chatting with him. And uh, they're in a lively conversation in no time. And they're laughing together. And then a few moments later, Quinnell motions to Max to come over. As soon as Max comes over, Quinnell puts his arm around Max's shoulder and says, this is my next door neighbor and he is my friend. He keeps talking in Portuguese. Moments later, the customs official agrees to release the crate. And, and so all the furniture, all their pots and pans, all their stuff is delivered to their apartment. And Denelin, Max's wife, is very, very, very happy. Max realized that he just didn't understand the culture, the language well enough, the problem as to why his crate was detained in customs, certainly didn't have the capacity to persuade the customs official. But his next door neighbor, Queno, possessed all of these capabilities, including an understanding of the law, and just as importantly, was more than willing to act as an advocate on behalf of Max and Denelin. And so their stuff was released. And we have an advocate before the living God in the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf. And God, unlike the customs official, isn't reluctant to hold back the good gifts that he wants to release to us. So even when we feel disadvantaged, even when we feel weak, we have an advocate who prays in us and for us, who represents us to God. If you've read God in My Everything, you may recall I featured someone named Sean Litton, a leader at the International Justice Mission who described the experience of a young woman named Elizabeth, not her real name. Sean said, Elizabeth, this young woman, had been lured, tricked into coming to Thailand with the promise of a good job. But as soon as she entered Thailand, she was forced to work in a brothel. Sean Litton and his teammates at the International Justice Mission were seeking to find ways to rescue girls that had been trafficked into the sex trade. And they were praying for this door to open. And they were able to cooperate with some local law enforcement officials, which itself was an answer to prayer, a kind of miracle, and identify Elizabeth, her location, and set her free. And after she had been released, Sean walked into the tiny room where she worked and where she had been kept locked up day after day and noticed on the wall was a script in a language that he could not read. And so he asked one of his co-workers to come into the room who could read the words and read them to him. Co-worker bent down and looked and read this, translated this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. This is what it says. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble when evil people come to devour me or my enemies and foes attack me? They will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surround me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked 
I will remain confident. Those are words from Psalm 27. It turned out that Elizabeth was a devoted follower of Jesus. And she had written out the words of the 27th Psalm on the wall of this tiny room where she worked and was locked up as a daily reminder to pray that God would rescue her and to offer her words for a prayer when she had no words to pray. But I am sure that there were days that were so stressful and so traumatic for Elizabeth that she couldn't pray at all. And on those days, the Holy Spirit prayed in her and for her. When Sean realized what had happened, and he became aware of the fact that of all the girls he and International Justice Mission could have set free first, they were led to the one who had specifically been praying to be delivered by God and for whom the Spirit was praying the same. And he was so moved by that, by that orchestration by that answer to prayer, that he actually broke down and wept. And even when we feel utterly weak and powerless, the Spirit will pray in us and for us, make intercession on our behalf to God in accordance with the will of God. This past spring break, our family returned to Japan for the first time since the pandemic. And we were able to spend some time with my wife Sakiko's family. Her mother is experiencing some dementia. She's now in her 80s. She's incredibly joyful. We connected with her uh, last night via FaceTime. But she is losing her short-term memory. If we live long enough, chances are that our memory will fail us. If we live long enough, chances are our words will fail us. But the Holy Spirit will never fail us. Even when we have no words, the Spirit will pray in and for us. Even if we forget God, God will not forget us. On September 2nd, 2021, as I alluded to earlier, I was with my mother and she was struggling to pray. She prayed, Tengoku ni hayaku ikitai. I want to go to heaven soon. And then just two nights later, she could not pray at all. My niece, who is here helping out with the production aspect of the, the live stream, walked over to mom's bed, held her hand. I walked over to mom, held mom's hand in my niece's hand. My niece then prayed for mom. I then prayed for mom. I believe the spirit prayed for her. And then she breathed her last. And if we put ourselves, our existence, as my mom did, into God's hands, God will hear our prayers across our lifetime. And when we cannot pray, God will hear the sighs of our heart, the groanings of our spirit, 
The Spirit will plumb the depths of God's heart and then pray in and for us in accordance with God's will. And will one day then bring us to our eternal home. Let's pray together. In a spirit of prayer, if you'd like, you can receive the Holy Spirit for the first time or in a fresh way by simply breathing in deeply and say, come, Holy Spirit, I receive you. His holy presence in your life is made possible through Christ's death on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. You can say, I receive you, Holy Spirit. And in a spirit of prayer, let me offer the affirmation that God's Spirit is always with us through the words of David as penned in Psalm 139. Let me offer it as a prayerful affirmation for us. Affirm it in your spirit if this reflects your reality. O Lord, or your desire, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And then... David ends the affirmation, the psalm, with these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And now let us add the words of the Apostle Paul from Romans 8. In spirit of God, pray in me and pray for me. And the Spirit can do just that because the Spirit lives within us. And so let us take a moment of silence as we ask, Holy Spirit, pray in me and pray for me. And trust that the Spirit will pray in us and for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for praying on our behalf to God the Father. Amen.